Exodus chapter 23, verse 1. Thou shalt not utter a false report. Put not thy hand with the wicked to be an unrighteous witness. Don't lie in court. Don't tell lies about people to hurt them. And that is malicious when you tell a lie about somebody to cause them harm, even to break up relationships, because the devil is the author of all lies. 2. Thou shalt not follow a multitude to do evil, neither shalt thou bear witness in a cause to turn aside after a multitude to pervert justice. This is talking about like if a mob wants to, like the KKK Nazis or any group of people that want to do something evil, don't follow them and don't bear witness, meaning don't testify in their favor to pervert justice. 3. Neither shalt thou favor a poor man in his cause, whether they're rich or poor. Don't show favoritism. 4. If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. This is because God loves both the evil and the righteous people. We also have to love evil people and treat them with as much kindness as we would righteous people. So you bring back their property if you find it. This shows you that if you find somebody's wallet, you need to return it. You don't keep it. 5. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under its burden, thou shalt forbear to pass by him. Thou shalt surely release it with him. If you see your neighbor's donkey collapse under its burden, then you can't keep walking by. You have to lift the burden off of the donkey so that it can get up and walk again, and you can return it to its owner. You really have to go the extra mile for people who hate you. And in the New Testament, Jesus talked about turning the other cheek, because this changes people's hearts. When they see the kindness of God through us, then they break down a lot of times, and they turn to him and repent of their sins. God loves everybody equally, and the unsaved, he wants them to get saved. If he or we treat the unsaved with hatred, they're not going to get saved. 6. Thou shalt not rest the judgment of thy poor in his cause. To rest is to pull away from somebody. Don't prevent a poor person from receiving justice. This kind of thing, you can apply it to the workplace or school setting. This is where the poor people get mistreated the most, is in professional settings. For instance, in school, the rich kids might get all of the attention from the counselors, and the poor kids who don't make any waves or don't have suicidal issues or whatever, they get ignored all year long. Nobody pays any attention to them because they're not causing problems and they're not popular. Therefore, they don't exist. And then in the workplace, the same thing can happen. A poor person doesn't get promoted and doesn't get any awards for the work that they've done. But a popular person who already has a lot of networking going on, they get all the promotions even though they may not deserve it. 7. Keep thee far from a false matter, and the innocent and righteous slay thou not for I will not justify the wicked. You cannot kill somebody who is innocent and righteous, even if the law says that you should, or even if you're commanded to. So if you're a police officer or somebody else carrying out the law, a military person, you cannot harm the innocent and the righteous, even if you're told to. And don't lie about anybody. Eight, and thou shalt take no gift. This means bribes. For a gift blindeth them that have sight and perverteth the words of the righteous. And it makes you say things that aren't true. 
bribes pervert everyone. Even if you were a righteous man before the bribe, after the bribe, you won't be anymore because you'll feel like you owe something to the person who gave you the gift. And God doesn't want us to feel that way, to feel that we owe people something because then we won't be righteous. Nine, and a stranger shalt thou not oppress, for ye know the heart of a stranger, seeing ye were strangers in the land of Egypt. We can have rules about people entering our country, but we're not to oppress anybody or mistreat anybody who enters our country. 10. And six years thou shalt sow thy land and gather in the increase thereof. So here again, we're talking about Sabbath, and Sabbath is a constant theme in the Bible, both Old and New Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus is our Sabbath rest. In the Old Testament, God has all kinds of Sabbaths that the people are supposed to follow. So he's saying, for six years, you can plant crops, but on the seventh year, you have to let the land rest and rejuvenate, replenish, and nourish the soil again. If you keep planting every year, the soil won't have any nutrients in it. And that's why the produce that we eat in the store has no nutrients because they don't let the land rest. They replant and harvest every single year. 11. But the seventh year thou shalt let it rest and lie fallow. Fallow means just let it grow wild, that the poor of thy people may eat, and what they leave the beast of the field shall eat. In like manner thou shalt deal with thy vineyard and with thy olive yard. So your vineyard and your olive grove, you are not allowed to plant or harvest in the seventh year. And all the poor people can come to your land every single day and get food, whatever's growing, and soak in the wild animals. The deer can come. You know how some people want to kill deer? They'll replant every single year, and every single year they'll have a war against the deer. This is not God's will. God's will is that every seventh year you let the deer eat your roses and your carrots, and you just let it grow fallow. That's God's law. 12. Six days thou shalt do thy work. And on the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thine ox and thine ass may have rest, and the son of thy handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. Another reason that you have to rest on the seventh day is so that your animals don't have to work either, and neither do your servants or your slaves. Everyone deserves to rest. Everyone, even the animals. God is just so loving and so kind. In our society, we don't think that everybody needs to rest. We're like, if you're poor, then work seven days a week. You know, try to get some more money. We don't let people rest. 13. And in all things that I have said unto you, take ye heed, and make no mention of the name of other gods, neither let it be heard out of thy mouth. They're not even allowed to talk about other gods because it glorifies them. There are times, you know, in an academic setting where you have to talk about mythology or whatever, or if you're an archaeologist, you're going to have to talk about gods because it's part of archaeology. But we're not supposed to be mentioning it casually because we're just glorifying the devil when we do that. 14. Three times thou shalt keep a feast unto me in the year. So there's three great feasts in the year. 15. The feast of unleavened bread shalt thou keep. Seven days thou shalt eat unleavened bread as I commanded thee at the time appointed in the month Abib, which we today call Nisan. For in it thou camest out from Egypt, and none shall appear before me empty. This is somewhere around March, April every year, and this is the beginning of the Jewish calendar, and this is the first feast is at the very beginning of the Jewish calendar. 16. And the feast of harvest, the first fruits of thy labors, which thou sowest in the field, and the feast of ingathering, at the end of the year, when thou gatherest in thy labors out of the field. The second great feast is when they plant the seeds, and the third great feast is when they harvest the crops. 
17. Three times in the year all thy males shall appear before the Lord God. 18. Thou shalt not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, neither shall the fat of my feast remain all night until the morning. There are bread offerings, and there's also the, it's called the show bread, which they will put in the temple. God will command them to have 12 loaves of show bread to represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Every time God requires bread as a sacrifice, it always has to be unleavened or unraised. Leaven represents sin, so it can't have yeast or anything like baking powder that would cause it to rise. When you do a fat offering and you burn the fat, it does have to be burned completely. 19. The choicest first fruits of thy land thou shalt bring into the house of the Lord thy God. Thou shalt not see a kid in its mother's milk. When you give me an offering, you have to give me the best that you have. You can't give me the old, rotten, dead, leftover stuff. If it's a fruit offering or a grain offering, it's the first of the harvest and the best of the harvest. And again, this shows to God that we trust him to provide for our needs. If we give him the, the dregs and the leftovers, that doesn't show any trust whatsoever because we've already fed ourselves and we're throwing God's scraps. We have to give him the best and the first to show him that we trust him to take care of us the rest of the year. And it says, thou shalt not boil a kid goat, a baby goat, in its mother's milk. Now this has to do with respect for animals and the creatures that God created. It's not animal worship at all. It's just kindness toward God's creatures. Think of how perverted it is to take a mother's milk and cook the mother's own baby in it. That is ultra perverted, ultra hateful. It's just absolutely disgusting if you think about it. Even though it's an animal, that doesn't make it any less disgusting that you would take the mother's milk and the mother's child and cook it up together is just ultra disgusting. Now, what the Jews did wrongfully is they took this one verse and then they made all these hundreds of laws about not eating cheese and meat at the same time, which isn't what this verse is about. This verse isn't saying that you cannot have cheese and meat on your plate. That isn't what it's saying. It's talking about respect for the animal. So if the cheese comes from a cow and the meat comes from a deer, you can make a sandwich with that. It's not a problem because it's a totally different mother, a totally different um, baby. But you can't take the very baby of that very mother's milk and cook it together because that is so Nazi, totally Nazi behavior. And that's all God is saying. 20. Behold, I send an angel before thee to keep thee by the way and to bring thee into the place which I have prepared. Now this is what God has done all along with this particular family. He assigned an angel to Abraham, then he assigned an angel to Jacob, he assigned an angel to Isaac. He is now assigning an angel to Moses and the multitudes, the millions of people that Moses is leading in the desert. And it's all about Jesus Christ, because he's keeping this family safe until Jesus is born. This isn't about angel worship. A lot of people are obsessive today about angels because they're into New Age, really. They're New Age people disguised as Christians that are teaching Christians to obsess about angels and try to talk to angels. Anybody who tells you that you need to talk to your angel, believe me, they're New Age. Whether they call themselves a Christian or not, that's New Age. They're trying to teach you to talk to familiar spirits, which are demons. 21. Take heed of him, and hearken unto his voice. Be not rebellious against him, for he will not pardon your transgressions, for my name is in him. God is talking about this angel, saying, 
if he gives you a commandment, you need to do it because it's really the commandment is from me. My name is in him. And you know, Jesus Christ is in me because I follow Jesus and his name is in you if you're following Jesus. 22. But if thou shalt indeed hearken unto his voice and do all that I speak, then I will be an enemy unto thine enemies and an adversary unto thy, thine adversaries. I will fight for you. I will fight your battles if you obey my commands. Now, I just told you we're not supposed to talk to angels, but this verse says you need to do everything the angel says. But again, it's not talking about a give and take conversation. And it's not talking about getting personal advice, you know, from your angel. Should I date this guy or not? Which is what angel worship is is all about. It's talking about this angel is going to speak my commandments to you so that you can hear them and you have to obey. 23. For mine angel shall go before thee and bring thee in unto the Amorite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Canaanite and the Hivite and the Jebusite and I will cut them off. The Perizzites are not to be confused with the Perizzites. The Perizzites are Jews, but the Perizzites with an I, those are pagans. And all these people are the pagan people who live in Canaan. God is going to have Israel fight them and destroy them. Non-Christians say, oh, God is a ruthless killer. How could he hurt innocent people? Well, they were not innocent. They were sacrificing their own children to Moloch and Baal. They had shrine prostitutes, which is a religious prostitute, where you go in the temple and you use a prostitute for a demon's glory. They did all kinds of horrible things, committing fornication and everything else you can think of that's evil. By purging them out of the land, remember it was the land of Canaan. Canaan was cursed. And now Abraham's family is inheriting the land that Canaan lost because of a curse. And it also represents you and I taking over our own soul and our own body when we get born again and saved. Before we get saved, we live in a life of sin and we have all these demons in us and we drink and carouse and cuss and terrible things. But when Jesus comes and drives those demons out, he has cleansed our soul and our body. He's cleansed our land. And now we take it over with our natural personality. And we use our body and our soul to please the Lord and to glorify him. So it represents us taking over our own person to live for Jesus. 24. Thou shalt not bow down to their gods, nor serve them, nor do after their doings, but thou shalt utterly overthrow them and break in pieces their pillars. That means their big statues. You need to break all those pillars. Now notice he called it pillars, because a lot of pagans love pillars, um, because it represents a sexual organ, and they're really into sex. Pagans, they will do perverted sex acts because it worships Satan. Satan loves perversion. And so a lot of their ornaments and their, like the obelisks that a lot of false religions have, it's really uh, altar to sex. 25. And ye shall serve the Lord your God, and he will bless thy bread and thy water, and I will take sickness away from the midst of thee. He's going to make our food clean. He's going to make our food plentiful and take our sickness away when we obey his commands. 26. None shall miscarry, nor be barren in thy land. The number of thy days I will fulfill. You won't have any women who can't have children. You won't have any miscarriages. Now, a lot of Christians might say, oh, but we have all these problems today and we're obeying the Lord. Are you sure you're obeying the Lord? Because if you really read his commands carefully, there are tons of things that Christians today are breaking. There's loads of commands. We just read some of them in this very chapter that I know Christians are breaking, such as dealing with other people's property, treating poor people with the same amount of respect that you treat rich people. 
Christians aren't always doing that stuff today. But if we obey all the commands of the Lord, we will have physical health. 27. I will send my terror before thee, and will discomfit all the people to whom thou shalt come, and I will make all thine enemies turn their backs unto thee. He says, I'm going to make all the foreign people afraid of you, and we see this actually does happen in the Old Testament. We'll see it happen several times whenever they're obeying God. When they're not obeying God, then the foreign people attack. 28. And I will send the hornet before thee, which shall drive out the Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite from before thee. So he's even saying, I'm going to use bugs to get rid of these people so you don't even have to fight them. The Hivite, the Canaanite, and the Hittite, I'm going to drive them out with hornets. And then they'll be gone before you even arrive, if you obey my commands. But the Israelites don't obey him, and they end up having to fight the Canaanite. 29. I will not drive them out from before thee in one year, lest the land become desolate, and the beasts of the field multiply against thee. He has a beautiful plan. God says, I'm going to drive them out little by little so that the land isn't left desolate before you get there and the beasts haven't overtaken it. So you don't have to show up and there's lions and bears all over the place. I'm going to drive them out little by little as you take over each new territory that they will leave ahead of you so that the animals won't take over the territory. There won't be any space for the animals to take over. 30. By little and little I will drive them out from before thee until thou be increased and inherit the land. And you can see this when we get saved sometimes too. We don't know how to live when we first get saved. Uh, we don't know how to walk in God's commands very well and how to walk in freedom. So he sometimes will cleanse us little by little. He'll give us a deep cleansing in the beginning. But then as the months and years go by, he'll cleanse us even more as we learn more how to live. So for instance, the night that I got saved, I was immediately delivered from fornication, loneliness, and rejection, and bitterness, and envy, and a whole bunch of other stuff. And I got delivered of all that on night one when I first got saved. But as the months went by and the years went by, there was other problems in my life that God still needed to clear up. It was later on when I got delivered of sorrow. And then later on, I got delivered of fear. And then later on, I got delivered of regret because I had a spirit of regret. And I would just mull over all my bad choices throughout my life. And I couldn't forget. And I would be like, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't done that. And I would get so upset about it. And it was a spirit of regret that I actually had needed deliverance from. And also, as the years went by, my choices with who to become friends with became better and stronger. So little by little, he was socializing me little by little. Each year, I had better social skills and I was making better social choices and not hanging around weirdos <laughs> like I used to. Now, I'm sorry for calling people weirdos, but there are some people who are not weirdos, but they sure do act like it. And so I was learning how to not hang around people like that, but it happened little by little. 31. And I will set thy border from the Red Sea even unto the Sea of the Philistines, and from the wilderness unto the river. For I will deliver the inhabitants of the land into your hand, and thou shalt drive them out before thee. He means you're going to get the whole land. Now, you're not going to just get part of it. You're going to get all of it. If you obey my commands, you're going to get all of Canaan which will later become Israel. 32. Thou shalt make no covenant with them, nor with their gods. So don't make agreements. We get told as Christians a lot of times that we need to just get along with people. That's not true. We are not supposed to compromise with anything that's unrighteous. We're supposed to say no and turn our back on anything that's evil and walk away. We don't have to go to the concert to prevent hurting someone's feelings. If it's an evil concert and it's going to have evil music, we just don't go. 
33. They shall not dwell in thy land, lest they make thee sin against me, for thou wilt serve their gods, for they will be a snare unto thee. We need to be really careful who we hang out with. Anytime we hang out with ungodly people, they're going to bring us down and bring us into sin. It's just a fact, and I know that from personal experience. No matter how well I know God's laws, if I hang out and I become really close friends with somebody who is a practicing sinner, I'll end up getting into sin myself. It's happened before. So we need to be super careful. We're sharing love and the gospel with sinners, but we aren't hanging out with them, going to their parties, going to their games, because that only leads us down the wrong path. And that concludes Exodus chapter 23.